Well, we as believers, as Christians, have been given the ministry of reconciliation. But when we look at our extended family, uh, our immediate family, our extended family, our church family, our neighborhood, our city, our nation, the world, the need is immense, both physical and spiritual, far more than we can ever hope to meet ourselves. And so it is easy to become overwhelmed by the magnitude of it, uh, easy to be discouraged by our inability to, to meet that need, our lack of resources to do anything about that need. And so the temptation is for us to dismiss it, uh, to make it someone else's problem, uh, to, to send them away because we can't deal with it, we can't handle it. And really that is what we find in our passage this morning uh, with the miracle of feeding 5,000 people. And through this event, uh, we are taught a few wonderful lessons by Jesus in how to minister when uh, the need is just over overwhelming. Uh, Warren Wearsby uh, gave us a definition of, a, of Christian ministry uh, in his little book called On Being a Servant of God. Uh, he says, ministry takes place when divine resources meets human needs through loving channels uh, to the glory of God. And really that definition we actually see played out in our text this morning. So if you would please turn to Matthew 14, um, and uh, we'll read from verse 13 through to 21. Matthew 14, verse 13 through to 21. Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is a desolate, this place is desolate, and the hour is already late. So send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food. And breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they ate, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we, we come to you, Lord, in need of your grace. Lord, we, we thank you for the ministry of your word. I pray, Lord, that this morning you will instruct us. Lord, that you would uh, implant your word in us. Lord, that you would quicken us to faith, to believe it, Lord, and that we would also act upon it, Father. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that you 
uh, encourage us and edify us through through your word, your people. And Lord, may we learn the lessons that you have taught your disciples many centuries away, ago, Lord, that that lesson is still as valid today as it was back when you first taught him. So help us in that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, really, the, the feeding of the 5,000 um, is, is the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded for us in all four the Gospels. Uh, and it's because I think it serves an invaluable lesson uh, to, John's, well, to Jesus' disciples back then and to his disciples all time, then and now. Um, and this miracle took place right at the beginning of a sort of a transition in Jesus' ministry. Uh, from chapter 14, we, we saw that Jesus started to withdraw from the crowds, that from the masses, from those people who followed him. And that was to, to, to rest and also to avoid unnecessary confrontation and persecution. But most importantly, I think it is to prepare himself and his disciples for what laid ahead. There is crucifixion and their future mission, really our mission as well, the Great Commission. We saw in chapters 1 to 10 that Jesus was presented as the King of Israel, the, the Christ, the Messiah in the Gospel of Matthew. And he was actively going out, actively seeking people, going from city to city to preach the Gospel of the Kingdom of Heaven. And then show them that he is the King of that Heaven, or the King, the king of the Kingdom of Heaven, because he taught as one with authority, and then he displayed his authority through various miracles, in forgiving sins, healings, uh, driving out demons, and even uh, commanding nature, and nature obeyed him. But then we saw in chapters 11 to 13 that there was start, opposition started to develop against Jesus. And uh, as the religious leaders became increasingly hostile towards him, and even his hometown, his own family rejected him in unbelief. And so from verse uh, chapter 14, we see Jesus starting to withdraw. Uh, of course, earlier on in, in chapter 14, we read of the hostility and the persecution that arose from the state. The ruler of Galilee, Herod the Tetrarch, murdered John the Baptist and thought Jesus was John resurrected. And we know that Herod's father, uh, Herod the Great, murdered the babies two years and younger uh, in the area of Bethlehem at the news that the Messiah, the King, was born, uh, Jesus was born. And so I believe Herod um, the Tetrarch, who murdered John the Baptist, would likewise not hesitate to kill Jesus if he perceived Jesus to be a threat to his reign or his rule. And in fact, we read in Luke 13 that he did try to kill Jesus, uh, but Jesus was not afraid of, of Herod. He called him that fox. Uh, uh, but he withdrew from that area because he wanted to fulfill the will and purposes of his father, which was for him to die in Jerusalem the next year on the Passover. And so at this time, he wanted to avoid unnecessary confrontation and avoidable persecution, really, by, by, by taunting Herod. And so he withdrew. 
And so from our passage today, we want to really show us three lessons that, that this uh, event, this incident, this miracle um, taught Jesus' disciples at that time and also which is applicable to us today. That we would learn how that we can minister uh, to people in need with strong faith in the all-sufficiency of Christ. Um, there are three critical lessons for effective Christian ministry in this passage. And the first one I want to draw attention to is to be revived in His presence. Now we read that verse 13, And when Jesus heard about John, He withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by Himself. Jesus wanted to withdraw to a secluded place, perhaps because he was grieved at the death of John the Baptist. Perhaps it was to avoid confrontation with uh, Herod, or perhaps it was to rest. Uh, I think it's probably all three of those reasons were at play. Mark 6 tells us that his disciples just returned from their mission that Jesus sent them to preach and teach the gospel of the kingdom in the surrounding cities and villages. Remember back in uh, Matthew 10 uh, that Jesus was sending them out uh, as sheep amidst the wolves. Uh, now also remember that Matthew was not... Uh, writing a, a accurate chronological account of Jesus' life. He's presenting a, a thesis and that Jesus is king and he was presenting it through uh, really or around five blocks of teaching. And so interspersed between those blocks of teaching were events in Jesus' life. And so we read that the, the, the disciples were sent out uh, and when they returned, this was just at the same time that Jesus heard the news of, of the murder of John the, the, the Baptist. And so when they returned, we read in Mark 6, verse 31, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Um, Matthew, or rather Luke 9.10 tells us, And when the, the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. And taking them with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. Now Bethsaida was a city located just around on the, on the entrance of the Jordan River into the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, just to the northeastern shore. Uh, there was this city, uh, Bethsaida, which fell under the jurisdiction of Herod Philip. So outside of Herod the Tetrarch's um, um, jurisdiction. And um, that we also learn in John, John chapter 1, that that was the home of where, where Philip and Peter and, 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 and Andrew came from originally. Now, the first lesson that Jesus taught his disciples really through this action was that they needed time to rest, time to reflect on what they had done, their ministry, and also time to reconnect with Jesus, time to have their souls refreshed, really revived. They needed time to revive themselves in his presence time to replenish their physical energy and also to rejuvenate their spiritual vitality. Jesus likewise often slipped away to be alone with God the Father in prayer, to revive himself in the Father 
through the Spirit. And we read even at the end of this passage, or the, in verse 23 of, of, of Matthew 14, that after this day, of this eventful day of ministry, of performing healings and feeding uh, the 5,000, Jesus sent everyone away, including his disciples, to be alone on the mountain, to pray and to commune, really to fellowship with the Father, to revive himself in the presence of his Father. Now, Jesus is our example. He is our model. And if he needed time to rest and refresh himself in the Lord, how much more do we? In fact, the Apostle John reminds us that unless we abide in Jesus, we can do nothing of spiritual or lasting value. And so ministry to people, to the needs of people, are incredibly demanding. It is draining, and often the needs are overwhelming. And unless revived, we will wilt like a flower in the desert sun. Unless revived, we will shut down like an uncharged cell phone. We as disciples of Christ need constant revival, regular rest, regular refreshment, restoration, rejuvenation, revitalization, all of those words speaking about ministering to our own souls in the presence of Jesus. We are not like God who is inexhaustible in power, energy, and resources. We are but created beings, limited, and all of us are reminded every night that we are not God because we fall asleep. And we are recharged during the night, refreshed, and really without sleep, a man or woman cannot function properly. Rest that is necessary physically, but I would say equally, if not more so, spiritually revive ourselves in the presence of our Lord. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Lord provided for us a day of rest. I mean, He created the world in six days, and then on the seventh He rested. Not because He was exhausted, but to leave us a pattern for His design. He designed us in that way, that we need rest. And it also points us to the promise of his rest in which we all enter in, by faith uh, in Jesus. The fullness of that rest will come when Jesus returns or when we go to him. So we need to learn to take time to rest and to be revived in the Lord to revive ourselves spiritually, to spend a day with the Lord. And traditionally, that for the church has been Sundays, a day of worship, a day of fellowship, a day of reflecting on the Lord, on His goodness, on His grace, on His mercy, on His love, really a day to revive our spirits as we feed on His Word and we drink from His Spirit. And in a sense, really, every Sunday is what we call a revival Sunday. That's the, the personal and corporate recalibration, the reorientation 
of our minds and our souls and our hearts, our spirits, as we draw near to the Lord, as we spend time in His presence, being refreshed, being restored, being revived, being rejuvenated, ready for the week ahead, the week before us, so that we could minister to the needs of others. We ourselves first need to be filled up with the Lord before we can hand out of the Lord. And so we gather, we connect with the Lord and with others, and we are encouraged, we are exhorted, and then we enter our week in your place of work, your place of ministry, whether that is at home, whether that is at the workplace, and there we diffuse the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, an aroma of death. Well, I would say probably, in fact, we will need many revivals every day as we come, start our day with the Lord. Come to Him in our devotional time to ready ourselves for that day, to walk by faith, to minister with compassion, to represent our Lord, to speak for Him, to act for Him in the sphere of influence that He has given us. And so we ready ourselves in His presence. And that's the first lesson. Jesus took His disciples away for a time of rest and, and to be revived again. And we need that if we are to continue effectively in ministry. We need time with the Lord so that He can minister to our spirit, our souls. The second lesson I see in this text is really we need to reflect His compassion. I mean, Jesus just received terrible news that John was beheaded, and He sought solitude. He, he was probably grieving but just at that time, the disciples returned from their ministry and, and they needed his attention. They needed a retreat. They needed time to be refreshed and a time to rest. And Jesus had compassion on them and he took them with him to be alone with him, to be revived. But the crowds and the need that was there was just immense and relentless. And Jesus wanted to withdraw from the crowds, but the crowds pursued him. We read in, in our text, verse 13, and the crowds heard of this, that Jesus withdrew. They followed him on foot from the cities. Mark 6 says, and people saw them going, and many recognized them and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. John 6, 2 says, a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And so when Jesus saw this crowd, he was moved with compassion for them. Really, compassion here is a, is a very, very strong word that describes Jesus' response to seeing the crowd. Uh, and many of them uh, were not there because they believed in Jesus. Uh, we read here that some of them was there because they saw others healed. And perhaps they wanted healing. And so they followed Jesus. 
Or perhaps others were just wanting to, to see the spectacle of a miraculous healing. And so the crowd was just swelled in that area. And they were, um, but regardless of their motive, Jesus felt compassion for them. He was moved by compassion. Splachnitsuma is the Greek word, which comes from splachron, which really means your stomach, your, your viscera, your, your inner being. And so Jesus felt pity for them in the pit of his stomach. He felt their pain. He felt their suffering. He was moved by that. Have you, have you ever felt someone's pain? Have you ever been moved by someone's pain? Uh, sometimes I, when I see our, our little ones here in church and they run around and on the tarmac and some boof, hit the floor, I, there's something that inside me like, because I know that hurts. I know that hurts. And of course, Jesus' compassion was perfect, far more than just a little cringe at seeing someone fall. But his compassion was 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 strong. I mean, the word itself is, is, is much stronger than mere sympathy. I mean, we see this, use, this word used a number of times in the Gospels, about 12 times, and eight, times, uh, eight of those times referred to Jesus' reaction when he saw people. We, we saw him sometimes have this reaction when he saw crowds in, in Matthew uh, 9.36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Sometimes he was moved by compassion at looking at individuals. Uh, remember in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, a leper was seeking healing, and, and Jesus was moved with compassion and stretched out his hand and touched the man and healed him. And there were two blind men who followed him and called out, uh, Lord, we want to see, open our eyes. And Jesus felt compassion for them and touched them and healed their eyes. Uh, the widow who lost her only son, and as the funeral procession was going past, Jesus saw her and had compassion for her, and he raised her son to life again. See, Jesus also used this word in his parables really to, to explain really the heart of God he used it to describe the compassion of the master who had a servant who owed him an unpayable debt. And he had compassion on him and forgave him that debt. In Matthew 18, 27, the Good Samaritan, another parable, read of him coming upon a man attacked by robbers and left for dead. And we read that he felt compassion for him and helped him. Luke 10, 33. And of course, we see the father who saw his prodigal son from a distance coming home. And he felt compassion for him and ran towards him, embraced him and kissed him and received him back as a son in Luke 15, 20. And so people, Jesus is a compassionate God. He is by nature a compassionate Savior. And we see it here in our passage that he was moved by compassion 
to help the people. Even when he, as the God-man himself, was hurting because of John the Baptist, the mourning the loss of his, of his cousin, even when he was tired and wanted to rest and be refreshed to revive his disciples, his compassion moved him to action. And so here this morning, whether you are here because you are a disciple of Christ or because you are here in the hope of finding help for yourselves, because you are hurting, because you are suffering, or you are facing an overwhelming problem, or you're just curious here for the first time, learn this lesson from Jesus' compassion. He is a compassionate God and he sees your hurt. He sees your suffering and he is not indifferent to it. He is not unmoved by it. He is moved with compassion and his compassion moved him to action. In our passage, he was moved to heal those who were sick. He cared for their physical well-being, but also and arguably more so, he was moved by their spiritual need. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Mark 6:34 tells us when Jesus went to saw ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Luke 9, 11 tells us, but the crowds were aware of this and followed him and welcoming them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. And so we see here, Jesus, in spite of his own need, welcomed those who were in need. His compassion made him welcoming of them. And his compassion moved him to speak to them about the gospel of the kingdom speak the good news about the kingdom of heaven to them, telling them it is near, it is coming. And he addressed their physical needs and he addressed their spiritual needs. Their, really their real need was their spiritual need. And he cured those in need of healing. He addressed their physical needs. And this was with the full knowledge that many of them were traveling to the Passover feast. As we read in John 6 verse 4, that the crowds were made up not only of the locals of that area, but uh, the, the, the Passover was, was, was near and many would have traveled through that district to go to Jerusalem so that they as each family will sacrifice a lamb in commemoration of their redemption by God from the house of slavery, the house of Egypt. And his compassion moved them to tell them of the kingdom, for he knew that next year he will be the Lamb of God that will be slain. He knew that they need saving 
that they need to be delivered, that they need to be rescued, that they need to be redeemed from the power and penalty of sin, from that cruel taskmaster who promises so much yet pays so miserably. And so he had compassion on them, for he knew that sin separated them from God. And the felt needs that they had, that which was driving them to him, was nothing in comparison with their real need, their need of a savior, their need for redemption, their need for reconciliation with God, their need for forgiveness, for regeneration. And he was moved to the core by that need. And as I said, he healed them, really to give them a bit of a foretaste of the kingdom that is to come, his kingdom that is to come on earth, where sickness and suffering will be greatly diminished and until it's, until, until it's ultimately banished in the new heavens and the new earth, as the prophet Isaiah prophesied for us in Isaiah 35 and 65. And so the first lesson is that Jesus is a compassionate God. We can go to him with our needs. And secondly, this event teaches us that we as his disciples need to reflect his compassion. We who call him Lord and Savior, we who call him Master, we who are his disciples, we must learn to reflect his compassion, to imitate his compassion for the lost and for the destitute, for the despairing, for those without hope, and those without God in this world. And we need to reflect the compassion for our fellow workers, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting, who have been crippled by sin and sickness. And this is not a compassion that we can generate in and of ourselves. It's not a compassion that we can conjure up. It's not a passion that we can stir up by ourselves, in ourselves. It is a compassion that is only produced and stirred up by the Spirit of God. This is the compassion, really, is the love of God that is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us, Romans 5 tells us. It's a spirit... It's a compassion that really is a fruit produced by the Spirit in the life of disciples who walk by the Spirit and not the flesh. And when we live by the Spirit, when we walk by the Spirit, when we are filled by the Spirit, when we are led by the Spirit, Jesus' compassion will grow in our hearts. And when we revive ourselves in Him, when we refresh and replenish our compassion by spending time in his presence, that will grow for the lost and the hurting. And when our hearts are filled with compassion, it will rise up and it will be stirred up and it will move us to action at the sight of the lostness of the loss and the hurt of the hurting. And we will be like the Good Samaritan who will stop and help. We will be like the father who sees his prodigal son return and we would run towards them 
and welcome them back, restore them to the household of God. And we will forgive our fellow slaves as we have been forgiven so much. Our compassion will move us to action. Our compassion will triumph over our tiredness, over our fear, over our own hurt. And we will move to minister to others, sacrificing our own comfort for their benefit. This is what Jesus was doing here in this incident. He withdrew to rest and spend time with his disciples, but his, his compassion moved him to act, to sacrifice his comfort, to sacrifice his, his rest and relaxation to care for others. And this is difficult to, for us to consider. Do you do that? Have you done that? When last did you do that? Allow compassion for others to triumph over your personal comfort, over your tiredness. When last have you allowed compassion for the lost to move you to speak the gospel? To someone? When last have you allowed your compassion for a brother or sister to move you to come to church even though when you're tired, to go to grace group even though there's a difficult week because they need, they have needs, they, they need to be ministered to, they need to hear the encouragement from the Word of God from your lips in the way that only you can say that. I hope we learn this lesson. That we see the compassion of Jesus and we reflect that compassion in our attitudes towards the lost and towards those who are saved. And we learn from our master. And so we first retreat and revive ourselves in him. And as we do so, our compassion will be grown. Our compassion will be strengthened, replenished, restored. And then when our compassion is moved, when we see the need of others, it will move us to action. This brings us really to the third lesson and that is to rely on his resources. Because people simply, we don't have what it takes to meet the needs of others. Compassion may move us to want to help, but we often come to realize that we don't have what is necessary to help others. We are so inadequate. We lack the resources. We need God's help. We need His resources. And I think this is probably the main lesson that Jesus wanted to teach His disciples through this miracle. And this was not an incidental lesson. Jesus knew exactly what He was doing. 
when we, when we look at the, all the, 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 the accounts in the different Gospels, all four of the Gospels, and we try and put together a, a complete picture of that event, we, we read that of Jesus and his disciples wanted to withdraw for a time of rest and revival. And then and the Gospel of Mark tells us that some people saw them heading uh, and, and where they were heading and they were ra- running ahead. And the faster ones were already at the location where they would land ashore and waiting for them. Luke tells us that was near Bethsaida. Um, and then the Gospel of John tells me that Jesus arrived with his disciples and he, and he walked past these early arrivals of the crowd and he went up to the mountain with his disciples to spend time there. And as they were sitting there, they were watching this crowd gather. And Jesus asked Philip in John chapter 6, verse 5, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? And he asked Philip, perhaps because Philip was from that area and he would know where to get bread for such a crowd. But really, he asked Philip to test him. It actually says there in John John 6, for he knew already what he was going to do. What a test. I mean, there were 5,000 men. Uh, this was before the nuclear family when there was just a, a husband and a wife and one child. This was a time of large families. And uh, this was 5,000 men without counting women and children. So the most conservative estimates is that it's at least double 10,000, if not more, 15. Some put it up to 25,000 people who were gathered there. And it seems that after... Jesus asked Philip this question. He proceeded to begin ministering to the crowd, to teaching them many things, as we read, and to heal their diseases, leaving Philip and his disciples to find a solution to this this problem. Where are we going to find enough food for all these people? And so Philip said to the Lord, Lord, not even 200 denarii will be enough to buy food for all of those people. 200 denarii is basically a day's wage, and 200 is probably about seven months or eight months worth of wages. And perhaps that was what they had with them in their ministry bag. And they said, Lord, even if we blow the budget, the whole budget on this enterprise, we will only buy one meal for them, and not even one meal for everyone. But they did find a little boy who offered them his lunch, five barley cakes and two pickled fish. This was basically enough for one meal. The barley loaves were quite small and uh, almost like little little cakes or crackers. Uh, Really a poor man's bread at that time. And the fish would have been little pickled fish that they would put on the barley crackers sort of as a relish. To eat, really, that was nothing more than one meal for one person. And so, Lord, we simply don't have enough to feed these people. So we think, send them away. Let them fend for themselves in the surrounding villages and cities. And Jesus said to them, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. And the the you there is very emphatic in the original. You give them something to eat. And so they said, well, we only have this. 
five barley loaves and two fish. And Jesus said, bring it to me. And then he made them make the crowd sit down in groups, about 50 and hundreds. And he took the bread and the fish and he looked up to heaven. He blessed it. He gave thanks for it. And he handed it to the disciples to distribute to all the people. And he kept doing that. And he kept doing that. And as he was breaking it, he was creating not just barley grain, cooked barley cakes, not just fish, pickled fish creating. And he handed it out and they distributed to among the people and all ate. And all ate until they were all satisfied. And all ate until they were all satisfied. And then there were 12 baskets of leftovers. And these were, the word they use is, is to describe a little basket, uh, really big enough to carry, they use it to carry their kosher food when they travel through Gentile areas. So uh, perhaps can carry a, a meal, maybe two meals at the, at the most. Um, so it's a relatively small basket. Uh, later on, when we read of Jesus feeding the seven thousand, sorry, the four thousand, they had seven baskets left over, seven large baskets. It says that refers to a large woven basket, um, and it's also the same word that was used when when Paul had to escape Damascus, and they were letting him down through the wall of that city in a basket. It was that kind of so. That's a large basket that they normally would use to carry a large piece of provision on on their travels. But this was a small basket, um, and there were twelve baskets left over. How many disciples were there? Twelve. One for each of the disciples. A meal for each of the disciples. He provided for thousands of people and enough so that his own would also have something to eat. And you ask me, what about Jesus? Well, that was another lesson for the disciples. For Jesus to have something, they had to share what they received from him, with him. Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Now the Lord taught his disciples really through this event to be dependent on him not to rely on their own strength, not to rely on their own resources, but to rely on him and his resources. And the Lord will teach us that lesson time and time again until we get it and do it. He will give us a task. He will show us a need. He will present us an opportunity that is simply beyond us with no way of meeting that need or taking that opportunity. And our hearts may be moved with compassion and we want to do something, but our wills are paralyzed because of our own inability and our lack of resource. And 
as I said before, true ministry is really beyond us. True Christian ministry is an impossible task. The need is immense and it is relentless. But let's draw some, some application from this. The next time you are facing, we as a church are facing an impossible ministry situation or a great opportunity. Take the test. Don't run away. Don't go AWOL. Don't suppress the stirring of your compassion in your inner being out of fear, out of inadequacy. Take the test. And then let's take stock of what we do have. And we will realize we don't have enough. And we will realize even if we sell everything we have, even if I spend every moment of my life ministering, we don't have enough. The need is too big. I don't, need, I don't have enough to help. I don't need, have enough to make a difference. I can't, we can't meet this need, Lord. I don't have enough and I can't get enough. And so we are a young or relatively young church and with young families and we don't have money. We don't have our own facilities. We don't have really amazing gifted people. We don't have, we have struggles in leadership. This is who we are, Lord. Five loaves and two fishes. Or maybe personally you have thought, I can't speak to that person. I, I just don't know enough. I'd rather be quiet. I'd rather not tell them the little that I know about Jesus because someone else can do that. Or I'm afraid that what I would say would be, would be wrong. And so I'll, I'll rather send them away. Jesus says, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. So what do we do? We take it to Jesus. We take the test. We take stock. We realize we don't have enough. But we take what we have and we take it to Jesus. Make what you have available to Jesus. That's the little boy. Just imagine him, this massive crowd. You can have my lunch, Lord. What an amazing story you could tell his parents that evening. It's really pathetic when you think about the circumstances. I don't have enough. I don't have much. Really, I have precious little, Lord. But what I have, Lord... The time that I have, the energy that I have, the resources that I have, the gifts that I have, the abilities that I have, the knowledge that I have, I bring to you. 
I bring to you. And I granted, I grant you this, that it will probably look pathetic in the light of what is needed. All that I have, all that we have, let's bring it to Jesus. Make ourselves available to him. Take the test. Take stock. And take all that you have, the little that we have, and take it to him. And then take him at his word. Do what he says. Do what he commands. And prepare to act. He said, make the people sit down in groups. And so they started setting them up in groups, 50s and 100s. They got organized. And then Jesus prayed and broke the bread and the fish and started handing it out creating food as he did so, as I said. Probably the best barley loaves and pickled fish that they ever had. Well, that human history ever saw. And the Lord used what they had. In his hands, it was transformed to supply their every need and satisfy even the disciples. What a powerful lesson they learned. Trust in the Lord. Depend on the Lord. He is our Savior. He is the head of our church. Give him what we have. All that we have. As little as that may be. Be dependent. Be willing. And then let's be amazed at what he can do. If we would only believe the scriptures, first seek the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to us. Why? Because the Lord takes care of his own. The Lord takes care of his disciples. Twelve baskets left over. He fed that all those thousands, and yet exact amount to all left over to feed the 12. And as I said, another wonderful lesson for them to learn that if Jesus were to eat, they had to share with him what he gave them. A wonderful illustration of God's blessing to us With what we need, he gives. And then we bring something back to him so that he could continue his wonderful work in us and through us. And so really this, this miracle of the feeding of 5,000 was, was a sermon in action. In John's gospel, we are told that the next day he went to Capernaum and he really he preached that message I am the bread of life. And there's really true spiritual satisfaction or, or spiritual hunger is only ever satisfied by Jesus. And sadly, 
men waste their money and their time on that which is not bread, not Christ. Back then and today, people make that same mistake. But Jesus still has compassion on the spiritual hungry multitudes today. And he still says to us today, give them something to eat. Give the sinner the gospel. Give the saint the gospel, the word of God. It's so easy for us to send people away, to make excuse. I don't know enough. I don't have enough. I'm weak. We are only a few. We are poor. We lack resources. Jesus asked, give me what you have. All of what you have. And let me make use of it as I see fit. Because the hungry world feeds on empty substitutes while they deprive themselves of the bread of life. But when we give Christ all of what we have, we actually never lose because he looks after his own. He takes care of his own. And we usually are more blessed when we have given than when we receive. So this is the word of the Lord for us today. Ministry lessons for this week and really every week. And if you are here today, do not Harden your heart when the Lord speaks to you. But be revived in his presence daily, weekly. Reflect his compassion. Look to him. Take his yoke upon you and learn from him and rely on his resources. Let's take the test. Let's take stock. Let's take it to the Lord. Let's take it at him at his word, knowing that he takes care of his own. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word and how it ministers to us. Lord, thank you for these lessons, lessons that of how we should minister in a time and a place of impossible need, Lord. It is so much. There's so much to be done. There's so many, Lord, who are hurting, who are without God and separated from you. And we are but a few. We are weak. We are poor. But I pray, Lord, stir our hearts to have compassion on the hungry and the hurting. Help us to give you all that you have given us, even when we know it is so inadequate. And Lord, we will look to you as you use that and, tr and transform our meager efforts 
to bear eternal fruit for your glory and your kingdom. And Lord, help us to trust in you, knowing that you look after us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.